First of all, can I present you Pora's Carla? Yay! This was, this was all reasonably hastily prepared anyway. I think we talked on Thursday. We are like, hey, this would be a good hookup. And then today became even more uh, involved because of traffic and Birmingham and things. Um, but Paul, uh, could you briefly introduce yourself uh, to us? Who are you? Yeah, hi. I see some familiar faces. Uh, I used to attend Birmingham back in 2012, 2013. I did my master's in philosophy here. Um, as you can tell from my wonderful accent, I am from America. Hey, guys. Yeah. Um, and I am working on my PhD in philosophy. So if you want to know what the meaning of life is, uh, it's 42. <laughs> um, I'm living in Oxford this year doing a fellowship. I'm looking at uh, cognitive anthropology, studying sort of like the cognitive and evolutionary underpinnings of morality. Um, and I work more on, on the philosophical side, specifically trying to understand more of um, the relationship between God and ethics, the nature of obligation, things like that. So, uh, so you know, nothing really super important. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that stuff, um, I guess one of the things I didn't touch on much in the talk, but may well come up in the questions, and it might be obliquely referenced, is this link between God and uh, morality at a very fundamental level, which I guess you, you focus on a lot. Why do people throw in God straight away when they start talking about morality and goodness? Because that's kind of the core of what you're looking at, isn't it? Yeah, so... Um, there is a common like line of argument you've probably heard uh, if anyone here is familiar with William Lane Craig um, Or some of these other apologists they put an argument forward that says that moral facts or the fact that morality exists at all um, Shows that God has to exist. Um, I Think that God or theism the theistic picture makes most sense of ethics in three specific ways uh, So first I think that theism makes sense of why persons are valuable uh, so think about what a person is, think about what a human being is. Uh, you can lack body parts, you can be black, white, you can be from Africa, you can be from Asia. Um, you can lack some sort of uh, mental faculties and we're all still inherently valuable, we're all still equal, we're all still worthy of value as persons. Um, what explains that kind of intrinsic dignity? I think that uh, the image of God does. I think that's really difficult to explain in a world where God doesn't exist. Um, I also think uh, God makes sense of why we have uh, undirected duties. So philosophers talk about undirected duties. These are just duties that we have like to the environment, to animals, things like that. Uh, why is it wrong to just like chop a tree down for no reason? Well, it's not because the tree has a right, uh, but because we, we think that we have some sort of obligation not to do that. And if God exists, then God makes sense of why that's the case. So we have a um, an obligation to God to take care of creation, to steward it, to do things like that. Um, God also makes sense of why what's good for us also lines up with what is actually right. Um, so why is it good to not commit adultery? Well, that's good. Like, it's good to live monogamously. It's good to live faithfully with your wife. Um, so what it means to be a good spouse, what it means to be a good person, lines up perfectly with what the right thing to do is. And what explains that unification there? Um, I think theism better explains that than atheism. And God also makes sense of why we have a reliable moral compass. Um, so if you, you don't have to study ethics, you don't have to study philosophy to know what the right thing is to do, right? You just, you sort of, you look at like a horrible tragedy on the news or maybe you've like uh, witnessed one or felt some deep uh, sadness or sorrow in your life and you go this is not the way the world ought to be or this person did something horribly wrong or I can't believe that someone would do something like that you just have like a sort of intuitive immediate awareness of what the right thing is why should we think that this moral compass that we have 
uh, is reliable, mm. and I think God makes better sense of that than does atheism. So on all those different levels, you have this, like, theism provides a better account of all these data points than does naturalism. So mm. if you're a scientist, think of, like, you've got all these data points, you're trying to explain them by a model or a theory. Um, so theism makes better sense of all of these things than does atheism or naturalism. Wow. See why we shipped him in. That's, uh, that's very good. You might just say no. You might have thought, I didn't ask that question. Feel free to keep sending it. That's fine. Rich, hand over to you. Brilliant. Thank you. More are coming. Um, okay, so first question. Uh, I guess picking up on this sort of theme. Um, uh, Texas says, I'm an atheist, but I have morals which I live by. Uh, why do I need to be a Christian to have morals? So you've suggested that as an overall level, theism stacks up, but this atheist has morals. Why does this person need to be a Christian to be moral? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. That's one that you often get a lot. Um, and I think it, uh, the question arises from a little bit of a confusion here, so I'm going to try to clear that up. The, uh, the claim being made by theists here is not that atheists can't be generally good people or that atheists can't know what's right and wrong or that atheists need to look to the Bible to figure out what's true and not true about ethics. That's not the claim being made here. Uh, remember when I talked about the moral compass earlier? I think that everybody has a moral compass and on the whole it works. And I think this is best explained by God giving us this moral compass. Um, but the question at stake here, what we're trying to figure out is what explains the fact that people are valuable? What explains the fact that morality exists? What explains the fact that we have this reliable conscience that tells us about the moral reality, the way that the world actually is and ought to be? Um, that's what's at stake. That's what the discussion is about. Mm. And that is where I think the theist is on better grounds than the atheist in explaining, um, one, why people are valuable. Uh, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of size, regardless of race, um, why we have a reliable moral compass, and uh, why goodness exists in general. Um, so it's not that atheists can't be good in general, or it's not that atheists can't know what morality is, that they have to look in the New Testament or Old Testament. That's not the claim being made here. Um, it's one about which worldview better explains like the reality of ethics, what, which worldview better makes sense of uh, morality. Brilliant. Um, next text, I guess uh, perhaps the flip side of that, um, Johnny, perhaps coming to you. Um, so how would you then justify or excuse examples of churches or Christian leaders, etc., who have not acted like Jesus and even would appear evil for some people? Yeah, and another excellent and very, very relevant question. Um, I think the first thing to say on this is that um, a philosophy can't be judged by its misapplication, I heard one person say once. And any worldview or belief system, um, there will be people who claim that, who don't live by it or veer off in different ways. And you can't judge something like that because it's, it's, that's not how it, how it works. We, we need to go to the core of the belief system and see, well, is it at heart, is the heart of this thing going to promote moral goodness? And with Christianity, um, Jesus is the heart of Christianity, the Christ in Christianity. And when you look at Jesus, and I, I would imagine if you talked to uh, the Christians in this room, 90% of the Christians in this room at least would have become Christians because they saw something in Jesus where they thought, wow, there's a guy here who does this thing properly. He, he's really, there's a, there's a purity and a, and a goodness, a true goodness about him uh, that is really compelling and I, I would like to be like that. I, I, I would like to follow that. I find this person trustworthy. Um, and I'd encourage you to, to go 
to Jesus in that regard. But I would say on the other side, though, that it is not inconsequential, the other stuff as well. It's, we can't just brush it away. Jesus said, by, by your, their fruit, you will know them. By which he's saying, look, if the followers of me, you'll tell how this works because of how they live. And so I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say there are some things that people have done in the name of Jesus that uh, I would say from a standard of maybe from the moral compass that Paul was saying, just human decency, like, what? And other things, looking at the Bible itself, saying, what? What are you doing? Like, I'm sure people could probably say some of, some of those things to me, uh, uh, too. Um, but I'd say that is important and serious. And I think the weight is on Christians, really, to say, look, it's really important how we live our lives. And Jesus said, those who love me, do what I command you. And some people see that in a very restrictive way of like, well, what do you mean? No, no, God, Jesus, get to know Jesus means we, if we really know him, we will act like him, we will love others. Um, and so I would hope, it is my main, one of my big encouragements on this is that while we can look out there and you can find things on Google all over the place, and these Christians do this and do this, I'd ask you, if you're a, here and you're not a Christian, I'd look at the lives of your friends uh, and see how people, if you're part of the church, or in the church here, look at how we relate to each other. It's it's a kind of bold and vulnerable thing for us, but, but we would hope, and it's nothing to do with us uh, in, in many ways, is we think Jesus has changed us, and I love it when I hear people say, look, there's something different about how you guys interrelate, and there's a love here. And I've generally heard people say that a, a number of times, I hope that would be your experience too. Great. Um, there's been a few questions coming in, um, perhaps Paul come to you first, on the idea very specifically about the Christian teaching of grace and forgiveness, that you'd be forgiven by God despite what you have done. Um, is that not therefore permission, and people citing different examples, where in, very specifically because of that teaching, you have seen religious people therefore do whatever they want kind of because they've got a free pass. Mm. Um, it, what's the motivation if we've been forgiven by grace to be moral? Yeah, this is a really good question. And uh, this is one where you think like, uh, skeptics might say, well, doesn't forgiveness present the Christian with just a license to sin, right? And you often hear this from uh, people in other religions as well, that if God really just does offer forgiveness as this free gift to everybody, if it actually is a grace to us, um, then does that not just provide a license for us to sin? But if you look at the teaching of Jesus specifically, uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of a, um, a master and a servant. The servant owes a large sum of money to the master, he can't pay it back, and out of mercy, out of grace, the master forgives this servant his debt. And the servant goes along very happy, on his way, he meets his friend, a fellow servant. And that new friend owes the one who was forgiven a large sum of money as well. Not nearly as much as the previous one owed, um, but this forgiven, I know I'm using servant here too many ways. So servant one and servant two. Servant one was forgiven, and his friend, servant two, owed him something. Um, he refused to forgive him. And the master finds out about this and says to the first servant, I have forgiven you a lot. You couldn't forgive this other guy a little bit. Um, basically, he was thrown in jail. So this, the, the idea behind this parable is that forgiveness or grace, when we are recipients of that, it obligates us. Anybody here ever seen Spider-Man? What does Uncle Ben tell Peter Parker when he gets his powers? With great power comes great responsibility. And I think that the Christian message is something sort of like that. There's a theme that runs through that. Because we have been forgiven, because we are recipients of grace, that obligates us to live well towards one another and to live in right standing with 
God. Forgiveness is not a license to do whatever we want. Forgiveness is God saying, hey, I've canceled your debt. I have made it so that your account against me is zero. We're good. So what that does now is it obligates us to live well, and it obligates us to forgive those who wrong us. It obligates us to serve uh, in the same way that if I were to give Johnny a million dollars right now, totally, I don't have that kind of money, I'm a philosopher, but if I did, um, <laughs> if I was a rich business person, and I gave Johnny a million dollars or a million pounds, um, and then one of you needed help, you know, uh, changing your tire or something, you had 50 quid, and you asked Johnny for that, and he didn't give it to you, you'd say there's something wrong there. Johnny, you just inherited a million pounds, totally undeserving, this was an act of grace, how could you not give 50 pounds to someone who's in need? Um, you'd say that it's something kind of bizarre. So the person who says, I've been forgiven by God, and yet lives as they want to, doesn't care about people, doesn't forgive, that person hasn't genuinely come to grips with the reality of what forgiveness is. Um, forgiveness brings about repentance, like it actually motivates us to do the right thing, but more than that, it obligates us to do the right thing. And so if we don't live well, if we don't live the way Jesus did, then we're actually sinning if we claim to have been forgiven by him. And Spider-Man, so that's good. Um, Johnny, coming to you. Um, what about the standard, the standard good person? Brackets who doesn't sexually assault pro or use prostitutes. What would God say about them? They've never hurt anybody. So I guess picking up on some of the examples you used in your talk. Um, about these Oxfam workers or whatever. Yeah. What about someone who has never hurt anybody, hasn't sexually assaulted someone, and doesn't use prostitutes? How do they fit into this discussion? Surely they're not the same in the discussion, or are they? What do you think? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. That, that, that question, the sooner it goes on, it must have a clause somewhere where you define what you think the thing is that, that is inexcusable. So that, what about the good person? Who's never hurt anyone? And obviously harm is quite important in, in goodness, I, I suppose. But we do pick and choose on these things about what we think are things. And this is exactly what we're seeing now uh, in, in our culture. In things that people, people knew about a load of the Harvey Weinstein stuff years ago. They just didn't think it was very important. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not in any way justifying him. I, I think it was always important. But people just didn't. They weren't the moral tick boxes people were looking for. When Benny Hill's running around trying to pinch girls bums and stuff and everyone's like oh that's hilarious carry on hilarious when Jimmy Savile comes along goes no not quite so funny now is it we are very fickle as regards how we would judge what's a good person in that way I think the just thing to throw into the pot more than happy to uh, go on later if anyone wants to talk about it also I think one of the things in the Bible that's different to how we view morality is we view morality focused on how we behave to other people which is very important the Bible has another level of things is how we relate to God and in the same way, let, let's say that we would understand that how I treat my guinea pig is different to how I treat my, uh, my friend, my human friend, or even someone I don't know. Because we think those two things are different. They're on different levels, okay? It doesn't mean I can just fry my guinea pig and eat them for breakfast if I don't have shreddies. But it, I do, it's different. It would be different if I fried my friend, for example. We, we'd understand that. Because they're on an ontological different thing. Well, uh, forward to that, many people don't think of this, but, but it's not just that we believe in God as Christians. We believe there's another level of reality that's more important than, than people here. And therefore, how we treat God is really important. God made us, and for us then to live in total rejection of God, uh, 
I think that must be considered in a moral approach, particularly if the Christian view is true that we will one day meet that God and he is the moral judge, how we behave towards him is going to be important in that whole thing. Now, a lot, it seems in the Bible, a lot of that will be judged on, well, we want to see the evidence of how you treat other people made in God's image, as Paul said, the whole thing's tied together in the Bible, but there's more to it than just her. Just one last thing, if you want to look more on that, a great bit by Jonathan Haidt called The Righteous Mind. It addresses this exact problem about as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, and he talks, uh, he's an atheist guy, but would talk about uh, that we have much, morality is much more complicated than that. Um, and I'd really recommend that book. I think it's a really good place to start if you think it's just about I haven't hurt anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, another way to think of it is whenever we ask, whenever we ask the question, are you a good person, we often, everyone's a good person in comparison to Hitler. Right? So that's always the, the, the person that's brought up what we juxtapose ourselves to, to make ourselves feel good. Um, but if you think about it, a lot of us do the right thing out of fear of being labeled a bad person, out of uh, fear of consequences of our bad action, out of fear of legal consequences. Um, but does doing the right thing for those reasons make us actually good people? Like if you don't want to uh, commit adultery simply because you're afraid of the way people are going to view you, or let's say you don't want to rob a bank simply because you're afraid of the legal repercussions, that doesn't mean you're a good person. Uh, it means that deep down you really want to do all of these things, but what's holding you back is social and legal pressures. Um, anyone here ever seen The Purge? John, I love The Purge. Johnny always gives me a bad, uh, bad rap at it. But um, So in The Purge, you have one day a year that you can do whatever you want, and you can express your heart's desire, and people just go mental. Um, they, just, they express all the evil in their hearts, and I, I think like deep down, a lot of us are more like that than we like to think we are. Um, that we deep down, th like there's lust, there's anger, there's aggression, there's greed, um, things that we don't act out. If you're a Christian, it's because you know these are wrong things. But for most people, the reason that we don't act out these things is because of fear of social and legal consequences. But that doesn't make us a good person. Um, if I were to, you know, pull up a PowerPoint, let's say I could have access to your 10 worst thoughts ever, put that on a PowerPoint in front of all of those who loved you, would you be okay with that or would you be horrified at that prospect? A lot of us would be horrified. Um, there'd be horrible lust, anger, murder, real things that you just don't want anybody to see. And when you think of it like that, it really exposes a little bit more this idea that we are not as good as we like to think we are. Um, and I think Tim Keller sums up the gospel well. He says the gospel is this, that you are far worse than you could ever imagine. But as a Christian in Christ, you are loved more than you can imagine. So the gospel is both of those things together, recognizing uh, that we are actually pretty bad. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that. But thankfully, uh, we have the antidote in Jesus. Now we're gonna head to our last question. Um, and just to say that Johnny and Paul, after, uh, particularly as he's arrived now, we want to make the most of this guy, are going to be around here, going to pull up some chairs. And whatever your question, this is the morning to grab these two and make the most of it. So we're going to kind of officially draw stumps in a few minutes. But if you want to uh, kind of crack on with a few more questions, there's going to be plenty of time. Um, just coming with one more question. Um, uh, though I'm a Christian, this person says, every now and again, questions arise about the scales view of morality. It seems at odds with the Christian view. Is there any reconciliation between the two? Is the Christian view the scales view of morality? So remember, Johnny was saying that scale image, 
have you done more right than, or more wrong? And how does that fit in with the Christian view? And this is where we'll stop. I'm, I'm just trying to think, process the questions and answer as quick as I can. I, I don't think the scales view is a Christian view as regards um, particularly just cosmically good and bad. I think it has some social use if we're talking about social social kind of uh, norms and things. But as, as I said, I, I think that there is, there is something, we, that's, assuming, that's assuming at the basis that we're good people who are coming from a situation where we're good and therefore, well, let's balance it out. As, as Paul said, the, the Christian teaching on morality is not the, even fundamentally, I, and I'm sorry if I presented it like this, uh, that, that it's about things that we've done. It's about things that we are. It's about who we are as people, that we're broken, that, that we, we could use other words, we're, we're, we're damaged goods, uh, and a lot of that damage has been caused by ourselves, and a lot of that is collectively in our, our species because of what we've done to each other and in generations gone by as well. You know, um, there is... There's things that lurk in our heart that are not good, and and we need a change of who we are. And actually, our actions are just showing who we are. That, that's all, all they're doing. And like Paul said, you can be socially conditioned in certain ways, but I think there are there are points you you don't need the purge to realize there are points in your life where suddenly it flashes out. And you think, why did I what what have I done? Why did I do that? Why did I think that 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 what I said? You know, you say to people, that's not really me. Well, what I said there. All celebrities always say this. That wasn't the person that I actually am. And you're like, yes, actually, it is the person you are. Is the Bible says from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and often our unguarded moments show much more about ourselves than our very guarded moments do and I think when we come from that position it's not just about weighing up some actions on a, on a thing it's about we need a cure for who we are deep down and I think this is what Paul was alluding to which is why I think uh, the kind of Bible says look all have sinned your sin is a sign that there is something badly wrong and like none of us let's face it none of us in the situation where we're like I've lived my entire life perfectly I just did that one thing so people say that it's just not how it is it's just how our whole lives are colored and the Christian faith then comes in and says no you need to admit however you look at it you need to admit to start with you need help in this sphere um, because you're not as good as you really should be uh, essentially but if you don't want to throw the word should in you can say you're not as good as you want to be as well actually you need to come to God in repentance saying sorry for what, what you've done and God's promise in the Bible is not just to give an example or even some psychological motivation uh, the Bible says and Jesus said look because uh, I'm God because I died and rose again on the cross I can actually help you through the Holy Spirit to to grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit in love in gentleness in goodness in joy and it would be the experience like I would hope of many Christians here that yeah you know what we've seen something of that and hopefully we're are better people than we were 10 years ago and we're not going to stand up and say hey look how great we are we're going to say no look how great Jesus is he did it even for us and we knew and know how bad we could be um, so I've answer that slightly tangentially, but I think it's important to make that distinction of what we do and who we are, which is quite important in the mix.